0: we've been in a study for, I don't know, about six weeks. This is probably the seventh week. We're going to finish up here in a couple of weeks with this, but the, our study is, is called Life Choice, uh, and we all have to make life choices. We all make choices every day, uh, many of them, and, and most of those choices, I dare say, they really don't affect our life long term. I mean, we we choose between vanilla ice cream and Chocolate ice cream, and I don't guess that'll. I don't. I mean, although I'm not a big fan of chocolate, but you know, if you are, God bless you. I don't think that. I don't think that really affects our lives a whole lot. But there are some choices we make from time to time that that have a long term effect on us. They 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 literally line our path up with certain things. And and God has a destiny. God has a purpose for all of us, every one of us. I don't care where you're at in life, if you're just starting or you're well into the the journey. God has a destination that He is taking each of us to and a purpose. And and our choices help us find that that pathway. Uh, the wrong ones we make, God works to get us back on path. The right ones we make get us there a little bit faster. And so uh life choices are Im- important, and one of the biggest life choices we make is whether or not, after we come to Christ, that is the single number one most important choice that we make is for jesus christ uh that 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 is a choice that 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 god's made that choice uh to choose us, and we have to we have to accept that we have to receive that and once we receive uh, Jesus Christ, then we have a another choice that we're faced with, whether or not we're going to go after the things of God or we're going to go after God. And there's a difference, okay? Things are not God. God is God. The things of God are signposts, they're road signs that are to lead us to God. But we're never supposed to camp out at a road sign, okay? I mean, if if any of you have ever been out west You'll know what I'm talking about. You'll you'll see national park signs for hundreds of miles before you get there. Okay, the signs are not the park. I, I can't imagine uh, going by a road sign and people have their campers pitched around that road sign. And taking I mean, I always I, when I go to the when I go to Gatlinburg, I always see this. In fact, I participated in this a few weeks ago. But everybody stops at the sign and has their picture made. That ain't the park, okay? <laughs> There's better things to look at in the park. And the same is true with, with the Jesus. The road signs, the, the things of God, point us to Him. They help us find Him. But listen, when we find Him, He's what we want. Not the road signs, not the things of God, okay? And, and so it's very easy uh, to settle for the things of God. And, and what happens is when we do that, we settle for religion, a practice, okay? But God didn't send Jesus to die for religion. He sent Jesus to die so that we can have a relationship with him. And so we have a choice, a life choice, and, and we have to make it every day. Whether or not I'm going to go after God, or i won't be satisfied with the things of God. Whether or not I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue religion, Or I'm going to pursue a relationship. And so this morning we're going to talk about two aspects. And whichever one of these resonates in your life will determine what you are pursuing right now. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about faith. They're not the same thing. In fact, you'll hear me say this probably more than once. Fear and faith can't reside in the same place. Okay. It's all fear or it's all faith, one or the other. And so I want to ask you, I want to start this morning, I'm going to ask several questions. Here's what I don't want you to do, okay, unless you just can't stand it. I don't want you to answer out loud, okay? I want you just to to listen to the question and take a moment or two. Don't, Don't jump on the very first thing that comes to your How many of you realize that sometimes the first thing that comes to our mind is not Right? It's, it's, it's just smokescreen. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where they ask you questions and you give answers and, and uh, you try to protect yourself with your answers and you don't tell them what they exactly want to know. Okay, I don't want to do that this morning. I want us to be honest with, with God. You don't have to say anything out loud, so you're not answering these for me. But I want to ask you, what motivates you? What motivates you? What causes you to do what you do? Think about that for a minute. There's another question that comes with that. What keeps you from doing what you want to do, but know you shouldn't do? Why do you profess to follow Jesus Christ? You know, all of those questions have very important answers And if you answer them truthfully and you answer them with integrity, they paint a picture. They give you your your understanding of what motivates you. I I mentioned a few minutes ago, don't don't accept the answers that pop up immediately in your mind. I want you to dig a little deeper. I I don't want to know the church answer, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Whatever question you ask, it's Jesus. Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to mention this young man's name. He might hear this on, on city. But I had a student at, that I teach at the school. And uh, what I've learned with, with, I learned this in Bible college. And I learned it in seminary. When you don't know the answer, just write Jesus. you got a chance <laughs> that it's right. Because Jesus, according to uh, you know, is the answer to everything, and he is. But he's not the answer to specific questions. When I when the professor's trying to learn if you if you trying to find out if you know the answer, so I told them. I said, "Now listen to me. I'm not looking for Jesus answers on here. I'm looking for the answers to the question. If you don't know, don't write Jesus. This boy, he just wrote Jesus in big letters. <laughs> okay. I, I don't need the church answer this morning. I, I don't need the religious answer. You don't need it." That's not what God's seeking from us this morning. He wants us to examine, examine what motivates us. because you know what? He's not asking to find out. He's already fully aware of it. You, you do realize that. When God asks questions in Scripture, "Adam, where are you?" Uh, it's not because Adam's found the perfect hide-and-go-seek place, and God can't find him. OK? Can, uh, uh, Cain, what have you done? It's not because God can't see what Cain did. He's asking that question so that we will realize where we're at, what we've done. You know, he's not asking for his knowledge. He's asking for us so that we will look and assess where we're at and what we're doing. So he's fully aware of it. So he doesn't really need the the question answered this morning, but we do. We do. You know motivation is the reason that you and I do what we do. It's the impetus, it's the stimulus, it's the incentive that kind of drives us that whatever our motivation is, that's what sits in the driver's seat. that's what pushes us along It, it inspires us to be either good or bad, but regardless whatever it is, it is our inspiration. So I'll ask you. Question, why did you come to this service today? Now, I didn't ask, why did you come to church? Okay? Because we don't go to church. You say, well, Nelson, we do most certainly. No, we are the church. So I can't go to a building and expect to participate in church. Are you all with me? You say, well, Nelson, that's just semantics. No, that's not semantics. That's a religious thought that, that got put in all of our minds Many, 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 many years ago. And we've just bought into it. And because we bought into it, we don't come expecting anything. We've been to church. Where have you been? I've been to church. Listen, we don't go to church. We come to a service. We come to worship. Or at least that's why we should come. I don't know what your motivation is, so I can't answer that. But why did you come today? What motivated you to get out of bed, to get dressed, to get in your vehicle? And, and I would say most of us drove a little bit of a distance when you could have slept late today. Really. When you could have just kind of lounged around barefoot in your pajamas without combing your hair, putting on any makeup, dressing up, taking a shower, all that stuff. You, you could have stayed home. So why are you here? Why are you here? What motivated you? You see, the reason I'm asking that question is, it's essential in determining whether or not you and I are mired in a religion about Jesus, or we're enjoying a relationship with Jesus, or we're confused by a combination of both. It's easy to, not to be either or, but to kind of be this way. So what motivates you? Is, is kind of the key. I want you to listen to what I'm going to say. Religion is fueled by fear and punishment. Okay? You say, Nelson, I don't know exactly what you're saying. By the time I get through, I think you will. And I think you really do. <laughs> okay? Religion is fueled by fear and punishment. Relationship is fueled by love and mercy. Fear motivates one of those, faith motivates the other. And whatever motivates you and me reveals where our heart is. A, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a guy who's about my age, and, and and he knows I'm a pastor. We've known each other for years and years and years, and he just made a statement just right out of the blue. He said, you know what, I really don't care for my pastor. Well, I, I really don't like to hear that because I know where this conversation's going, and and I just really, you know, one of the things I've, I've made a commitment to is I'm not going to talk about other Christians. I'm not going to talk about pastors. I'm not going to talk about churches. I'm just not going to do it. And he goes, you know, I, I just really don't care for my pastor. Well, this person, his pastor happens to be a friend of mine. So I, 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 I just, I said, why? He says, well, you know what? I go to church to hear a sermon. I said, okay. Okay. I said, S- so? I mean, I'm, 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 str- I'm straining. And he goes, I don't go to church to hear a lesson taught. And I went, oh, I know where we're going with this. So I just kind of eased him into a dead-end street. Uh, you know, I, I kind of helped him along. And he said, you know what? And then he made this statement. If I want to go a, to a lesson to be taught, I can go to Bible study. I can go to my Sunday school class and be taught. Man, when I go to, when I go to the service, I want to hear preaching. Now, I said, you know, my eyes were crossing. I, I'm trying to figure it. I'm trying to understand his, what he's saying. And I said, okay. And he said, you know what? And all my pastor does is teach. Now, can I translate that for y'all? See, that's religionese. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's Jesusese, religionese. That's bullese. All right. <laughs> So let me translate what that means. In other words, he feels like he's got to have hellfire and brimstone every Sunday. He's got to have pulpit pounding, vein bulging, despot busting, shouting, spitting, stomping, sputtering sermons. All right. Now that and listen before you. There are moments where that's appropriate. There are sermons where that's appropriate. There there are, when the Holy Spirit moves, that's appropriate, all right? But that wasn't what he was saying, okay? That wasn't what he was saying. I know him, all right? That wasn't what he was saying. He, in essence, wants to be verbally berated. He wants to be beaten up with the Bible. He wants to be soul-switched. Y'all know what a switching is? If you don't, come see me after this and I'll tell you about it. My daddy knew how to switch. All right? But he wants to be soul switched. He wants to be told that God's going to get him if he keeps on sinning. That's what he wants. He He wants God to take him out behind the woodshed and beat the you-know-what out of him. That's what he wants every Sunday. That's what he was saying. All right? You say, Nelson, that's hard. No, that's true. And the churches are filled with people that have been conditioned to believe that that's what Jesus is all about. We forget that Jesus took our beating before he was crucified. I don't recommend movies very often, but one of the movies that I saw one time, uh, The Passion of the Christ, this, it, it, it portrayed the beating of Jesus beyond i couldn't watch it I couldn't watch it okay I, I, I mean I winced every time a, uh, the, 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 the whip hit the act. It, it was it was so graphic, so whatever listen, Jesus took our beating. But he wants to have the, you know, what beat out of him every Sunday. He wants to be nailed to the wall. He wants the preacher to jump up and down on him. He doesn't want to hear about the love of God. He don't want to hear about the grace of God. He wants to hear about the. Uh, he doesn't want to hear about the mercy of God. He wants to be scared straight. All right. He wants to sit with his hands like this. Any of you ever done that? But I did most of my growing up. I sat with with my hands as tight as I could on the pew ahead of me with my knuckles turning white. I heard that. But he doesn't want to hear that. And, And if he doesn't get that every Sunday, he does not feel like he's been to church. Now, remember, we don't go to church. We are the church. But see, religion tells us that that's what's supposed to happen at church. Now, like I said, there's nothing wrong with hellfire and brimstone sermons. There's nothing wrong with loud sermons, right, There's nothing wrong with spitting and sputtering and if the Spirit of God picks you up and tells you to walk upon the front pew, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with with thumping your Bible on the pulpit. There's nothing wrong with that stuff, Okay? But if that's the diet you get every Sunday for an hour, 365 days a year, there's something wrong. Listen, in your relationship with the people that you love the most, do you yell and scream all the time? Do you talk soft and gentle all the time? No. There's, there's give and take, there's ups and downs, there's, there's different moments of emotion. Guess what? In a relationship with Jesus, there are moments like that. Jesus wasn't always meek and mild, gentle and, and whatever. If I read correctly, he got mad sometimes. You say, well, that, that no, 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 Nelson, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Then you need to read the Bible, all right? You don't need to listen to some goofball tell you Jesus never got angry. Jesus got angry. He made a whip, and he cleaned the temple out, the area of the, of the Gentiles. That's what it was. It was the, the section where the Gentiles, folks like us, came to worship Jehovah. The only problem was nobody could get in there because there wasn't anything in there but, but tables where they changed money because you could only spend certain kinds of money at the temple. So you had to have the right kind of money. And guess what? If you came from very far, you couldn't bring a lamb with you or a, or a bull with you or something like that. So you had to buy. So all of that stuff was necessary. But there was a better place for it. All right? that was there because the people in charge didn't like the Gentiles so how do we get rid of the Gentiles? We squeeze them out. That's why Jesus got mad. He said, you've turned this place into a den of thieves. By the way, I don't think he was speaking about the money changers and the people selling the animals. I think he was talking about the priests who were in charge. Just just an idea there. I can't exactly prove that, but I think that's right. And Jesus got angry. And can I just say this? I've been in business long enough to know that if somebody comes and turns my table over, I'm not going to just run and scatter because that's my money. So I think Jesus probably hit one or two of them. Okay, I, you may not, but I'm just being realistic. I said move, and I said move now. And probably had to had to hit one or two. You you read the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. And if you read the story, you don't get this meaning. You don't get this idea. But when Jesus uh, saw what was happening with the sisters, and he began to experience their emotions, and when he saw the tomb where Lazarus w- was at, the scripture says it says that, that he, he was upset. The Greek word said he snorted like a warhorse, he was angry. He was. St- Beyond angry. You ever got so mad you were snorting? I got a little dog that sounds like a pig when it gets upset, okay? I don't know that Jesus sounded like that, but that's what that idea is. So Jesus got angry. And, and anger is okay if it changes things. But listen, if, if a sermon, if every sermon you ever hear is that kind of sermon, then it's not the byproduct or the impetus of the Holy Spirit. It's just the way that person has learned to control and to dominate that service. Okay? There's a place for loud. And there's a place for being plain and and, and not smiling when you say tough things, okay? There's a place for that. But it ought to be the Holy Spirit that guides us into that place. That ought to not be my diet every time I come and gather with the people of God. Because if it is, I'm going to leave here every Sunday ashamed and condemned. Amen? It's okay if you don't say amen. If I've struck a a hard place, that's okay. Jesus didn't intend for us to leave here ashamed and condemned. He intended us to leave here encouraged and ready to face the world. This is where we build up one another. This is where we tell our glory stories and and we share what God has done. This is not the place where Billy has to pull worship out of us. This is a place where he has to rein us back because we're about to get loose, okay? Y'all understand where I'm going, what I'm talking about, okay? Listen, we are to have a healthy fear of God. And by that, I mean we are to have an awe and a respect of God. Okay, But that's not to be terrified and frightened by God. That, that's not what that means. But religion says, put the fear of God in them. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what that's what it says. It says, put the fear of God in them. Uh, remind the sheep endlessly uh, that God's going to punish them if they make, keep making mistakes. And that's the principal motivator of religion. It's fear and punishment. You better do what God says or God is going to get you. And too many people, their picture of God is is of an ancient white-haired man sitting on a throne with his finger up like this, with little lightning bolts. Just like this. So he can decimate us. Now, y'all laugh at that. But that's most Christians. That's where they live at. They'll tell you that. And if they won't tell you that, you can tell by the way they act. They're terrified of everything. And they're afraid God's going to burn them up. He's going to obliterate them. And you know what? Some of you this morning are motivated by fear and punishment. Deep down inside of you, you have believed the lie. And you believe that you can't be pleasing to God, that you have nothing God wants, and that God's out to get you. Listen to me. In Jesus, you are pleasing to God. Now, that's a great place for an amen. So I'm going to say it again. Religion says you can't be pleasing to God. But in Jesus, you are already pleasing to God. Okay? Oh, that's just... Maybe I need to yell louder and pop some veins up here for you. Listen, it's true. God doesn't need us. But he wants us. See, religion stops with he doesn't need us. That's not what Jesus stopped at. He wants us. He came for us. And God is out to get you. I want you to understand that. He is out to get you, but he's out to get you so that you can experience the ultimate satisfaction of having a life-changing, uh, a life-fulfilling personal relationship with him. That's why he nailed Jesus to the cross. That's why Jesus was, was placed on a cross, a Roman cross outside the city. I want to read a, a passage out of the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 53.10. When you listen to what it says? It says, but the Lord, he's talking about Jehovah God, was pleased to crush him, speaking prophetically of Jesus. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. And, and the literal Hebrew word there means making him sick. God was pleased to crush him and to make him sick. If he would render himself, literally if he would render his soul as a guilt offering. In other words, he was God was allowing Jesus to stand in your place and in my place and receive what we were supposed to have received. So Jesus, uh, God poured out on Jesus what you and I deserve so that you and I don't have to endure it. Now is that the truth? Okay, I'm going to ask again because I'm not sure if you believe that or not. Is that the truth? Did Jesus die on a cross? Why did he die on the cross? For us to pay for our sins. Okay? Then why in the world would I scream and shout every Sunday that God's going to get you when your sins have already been paid for? Dead gum. That's true. Now, I may scream and shout because you're not using what he's paid for. But why would I guilt and shame you over something that Jesus has already paid for? See, that's what religion does. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace. That's why it's called grace. I want you to picture this for a moment. okay? God expended all of his wrath And all of his anger against sin by putting it on Jesus. To put it in our terminology, he had a hissy fit and poured it out. I mean, he went nuts. But he did it on Jesus. Now, that's probably theologically, he's got a lot of holes in it, but it communicates. He had a mad fit there for a while six or seven hours and Jesus endured all of it. And when it was spent, it was spent. Okay? Now He's going to have another one in the future. And it's not so much going to be about the sin as it is about those who rejected the solution in the first mad spell that He had, the first time He poured His wrath. Does that make sense? But he was mad at sin, not people. See, we think God's mad at us. It's not us he's mad at. We're created in his image, in his likeness. He's mad at the sin that we choose over him. Does that make sense? That's why his heart's broken. So, why should a pastor scream and yell every hour on every Sunday about the wrath of God and how much God hates sinners? God doesn't hate sinners, He hates sin. That extra N E R on the end of it makes it personal, it makes it human. God doesn't hate human beings. Listen, God did this so that we might experience His grace, and that, and that grace includes His love and His mercy rather than the eternal separation that sin brings. He, he did that instead of, of giving us the wages of sin, the payment for sin. You see, religion is driven by fear's effort rather than faith's effect. Fear creates issues. Like I said a minute ago, God's not angry. God's not seeming, seething. He's not fuming with rage at this moment. He's as relaxed as relaxed can be. How many of you have ever been so mad you couldn't even see straight? I have. Couldn't even talk. I mean, couldn't talk. I mean, you just wanted to start you know I'm going to leave it there do you know what I mean Okay, God's not there God's as cool as a cucumber right now you know why because he's in charge he's in control he knows what's going to happen here 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 and ultimately in the end so why be upset he's done everything he needs to do he's not seething he's not fuming to this moment but yet you know what You and I don't have to operate in fear and terror because we believe that if we mess up, we're going to become a smoking pile of charred mess. God's not going to burn us up, okay? God did what He did so that we could experience His grace, we could experience His love. You know what religion does? Religion screams, get back in line. Stay in line or you're going to be eliminated from the line. You all know what I'm talking about? If you don't do it this way, that's it. Now, what we have to do is we have to determine if that's the God we see revealed in Jesus Christ. Is that who Jesus showed us in the Gospels? You see, too many Christians, too many pastors, too many teachers have taken an instance in a part of the Bible and extracted a verse or two and built a whole theology of who God is. Do you realize that Scripture says that Jesus, who is God, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which means God does not change, right? So if that's true, and I believe it is, then the same God existed before He created anything that exists right now, right? The, the, the God that John talks about, who is a God of love and a God of righteousness, Paul talks about that, a God of holiness, he still exi- he existed in the Old Testament, right? So the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are, ty- are not two different gods. They are the same God who is being revealed progressively, little by little, okay? Now, here's where I'm going right here. Too many Christians have a picture of an angry, spiteful, bitter old man just waiting for you and I to mess up. A God that's characterized by a destructive flood. A God that's, that's, that's characterized by a pillar of salt. A God that's, that's, that's characterized by fire and brimstone. In other words, a God without any context. See, there's a context around that flood. There's a context around that pillow of salt. There's a context around that fire and that brimstone. But if I don't understand the context and I rip that verse out and I use it like a stick on my sheep, then what I have is no longer a text that has a context. I have a text that has a pretext. Y'all know what a pretext is? I used to hear this in preaching class. My first preaching professor said this over and over and over. A a, A text... Without a context is a pretext. A pretext is a pretend reason for which something exists which hides the real reason. In other words, you just can't lift a verse up and preach a sermon unless it has roots in the text around it. In other words, Paul didn't make, and we're going to to talk about this in the future in some areas. Paul didn't make statements about something and then in another book, go completely against it. But if we're not careful, we can lift out verses. And we can build whole theologies on stuff that's nothing but religion. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to, be with, to do with the Jesus of the New Testament. And so if you have a, if you have a true reading of Scripture... In other words, you're going by more than what you've heard someone tell you from behind a pulpit or behind a pulpit in a class. If you've actually read Scripture, you will find that, you know what? God's not who most people think God is. And if you read the Gospels, He's sure not who most people is. Jesus would have eaten by Himself most of the time if he was the God that, that most Christians believe he is. Because Jesus certainly would have would not have associated with sinners. He wouldn't have had dinner with prostitutes and and and, 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 and tax collectors, thieves, and on and on and on and on. He, he wouldn't have. But see, we accept that stuff and we believe that lie and we don't take the context of the scriptures. I I challenge you, read the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and whatever Jesus does, that's God's heart. However Jesus responds to something, that's how God responds. Jesus is perfect theology. Okay? He is, G- he is God in the flesh, 3D. You want to know how he feels about something? Don't turn back to, 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 to Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Look at Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what happens there, but most people don't understand the context of that. Jesus came to fulfill what that was talking about. And so in Jesus, we interpret Scripture. We look back at the Old Testament through Jesus. We look forward into what's going to take place and what Paul wrote about through Jesus. Jesus is our interpretive lens. And whenever we separate Jesus from God, we get a warped view of both of them. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm, that's, y'all got a freebie today. I, I wouldn't go spend that long. But a verse out of context is a pretext. And without the context in which a verse is written, it can become a con to get whatever that person who's preaching wants. It can become a ruse to support something that's not true. The devil loves believers who are ignorant of the context. Okay? Because the only verses they know are the ones somebody else has interpreted for them. Listen, learn what the context means before you believe what somebody tells you about God. Read the verses ahead of it. The, if you're reading the letters of Paul, read the whole letter. It's a, it's a complete argument. He didn't just write this chapter and six months later come back and write this chapter. No, he sat, he sat down and he wrote a letter to somebody that he loved. And in that letter, he dealt with all of the things that needed to be dealt with. He encouraged, but it all flows together. Does that make sense? Okay. If you want to know what God is like, what he thinks, how he interacts with people, what's on his heart, how he responds to people who are hurting, how he responds to people who have messed up, just look at Jesus. Okay? Jesus is God. He's God walking on this planet. Read the Gospels. There are eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did, and I interacted with people. Like I said, don't try to interpret the Bible through the the lens of the Mosaic Law. Okay? It had its place. It was important. But its main goal, in fact, its only goal, was to show people what sin was. It was never to qualify them to be holy and righteous. Only Jesus can give us that ability. It shows us what Jesus is going to do and what He's done and what He's going to do. Folks, this book is about Jesus. All right, it's about Jesus, it's not about an angry God who's out to get us. The life and the actions of Jesus are are driven by love. And you say, well, how can that be? Because the Bible says that that God is love. His, His attribute, one of his characteristics, a part of his essence is love. So everything he does, he does out of love. If you've ever had children and you've had to exercise tough love, it's not always fun, right? I used to think my dad was nuts when he'd say, son, this would hurt me more than it hurts you. I realized what he meant when I became a parent. I went out to make some tough decisions. I've been with parents who had to make some really tough decisions because, you know what? They, They had to love their children and the way they were loving them was only enabling them to do bad things. And so they had to take a step back. It wasn't because they didn't love them. It was because sometimes that person has to realize where they're at and what they're doing. That's one of the reasons the church is supposed to exercise discipline. We don't exercise discipline because we don't love somebody. We exercise discipline to get them to come to their senses and realize they're hurting themselves and they're hurting others. It's the same in a family. Guess what? We're the family of God. So. This book is about Jesus and the life and the actions of Jesus are driven by love. God's not amazing because he has omnipotent power, but it's because he chooses to share relentless love with us through that infinite power. Do you hear what I said? It's not because he's all great and powerful. It's because he shares his love relentlessly with us through that power. Jesus came to show us the love of God so that we would know what a healthy relationship looks like. And He died for us so that, that we could enter into and enjoy the same kind of relationship He had with the Father. It, it could be ours. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. I, I like the way it's translated in some other passage, because literally it's this word. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power and love and discipline. That that word discipline there means sound judgment. So God God hasn't given, God hasn't put fear on me. He doesn't expect me to be terrified and afraid. He expects me to, to hold him in awe and reverence and love, but he doesn't expect me to to be terrified. He's given me power. He's given me his love. He's given me sound judgment, an ability to think. We live in a a world where there are generations now arising who no longer can think for themselves. Here's how they think. Y'all laugh. I'm serious. They can no longer think because they have depended on something else to think for them. And I don't mean this is a wonderful tool. I I, I can't believe you can access so much information in a moment or two and get an answer. But you have to take what you're given and think through it. You can't just accept it. You say, well Nelson, uh, that's why there's such a big deal right now about what the Russians did in our elections. Because they're putting out information that nobody's thinking about. They're just buying into that. You say, well, it couldn't be many. Well, there's enough if there's one. Does that make sense? Okay, the Russians aren't the only ones doing it either. All right, the Republicans are doing it. The Democrats are doing it. Everybody that puts a commercial on is doing it. But we have to learn to think. God gave us sound judgment to think with. Religion doesn't want you to think. Religion wants you to get in line and just trudge along. Okay? But that's not how it is in relationship. Relationship thinks. Because as you think, you behold the glory of that other person you're in relationship with. You fall more in love with them because you're able to realize what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. So God hasn't given us a spirit of fear See, the religious idea of an angry, spiteful, vengeance-filled God comes from who? Satan. That's exactly right. He wants you just close enough to the things of God to keep you away from knowing and experiencing God. You say, well, why? Because he knows if you taste a mouthful of grace... I, 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 once your, your life is shipwrecked by the effects of grace the pablum he's feeding you won't satisfy you anymore I mean, I'm just y'all, y'all may wonder Nelson why are you so crazy about this why are you just keep pushing this agenda because I tasted it one time and nothing I have ever put in my soul's mouth made me feel like that so I'm not going back to the garbage you can buy anywhere about religion because it does not satisfy. That's why I continue to push because I truly believe that if a handful of people get a taste of it, there will be such a fire that blazes that nothing can put it out. That's why. Listen, the problem with fear-based... Christianity is this, we only obey when the fear is present. In other words, I only feel bad about what I'm doing all week when you beat the you-know-what out of me on Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah, amen? Y'all all been there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When I left, when I left church and, and I had some dinner and I had some time to think about other things, I forgot about that. It didn't change me. It didn't change me. I went right back to it. But when you're in a relationship and that relational thing starts to take place and you're confronted with something, you have to deal with it. And if you deal with it, it's a process. And when you've dealt with it, it's gone. But if all you get's a whipping one day a week, guess what? You get used to the whipping, don't you? I used to do this at church. Sat down, got comfortable, clicked my brain out of gear. You can yell and scream all you want. I see your lips moving, I can't hear a word you're saying. Y'all know what I'm saying? We do that in our marriage relationships. We do that with our children, don't we? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm not preaching to you know, I'm not preaching to a choir right now. Y'all y'all know. You see, Love produces lasting joy. Religion produces something, especially when it's fear-based, that just is momentary. Momentary. we get away from our reminder of our fear, we revert right back to the old lifestyles and the behavior. You know, maybe this morning you're struggling with something that seems to occur over and over and over, and that doesn't seem to have a solution. Maybe uh, that's the result of a belief system that's built on fear rather than faith. Okay? Because fear and faith can't reside in the same place at the same, t- same time. God's kind of love casts out all fear. That's what Scripture says. Listen to what, John, 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 15 through 18. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. In other words, God comes to live in you, and you go to live in him. That's, that's the picture. You and he become like this. So if you've confessed him, if you've agreed that Jesus is who he, say he says he is, then that's what happens. And, and we have come to know, and, and that word know there is not an intellectual knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. We have come to know and have believed that the love which God has for us. In other words, God really does love me. And it's not just a words on a page, I've experienced it and I am experiencing it. God is love. That's his essence. That's his character. That's that's who he is. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected. Whenever you see the word perfected in the New Testament, think of the word matured or maturity. We, we always think that perfect means without any blemishes, without any flaws. Listen, when it's applied to us, that is not what it means. It means maturing or maturity. So love is matured there. Love is, it has become, uh, it's reached the maturation point. So by this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence In the day of judgment, in other words, when the day of judgment comes, we're not going to be shrinking back, afraid of what's going to be happening. We're going to be first in line. I'm here to get what you got for me, God. Now, I I know what most of you say. You're out of your mind, now, Nelson. None of you understand the love of God, because Jesus already took my stuff. You say, well, what about what? What about it? Jesus paid for my sins, past, present and future. So when I get in line, I'm going to see my my daddy, my Abba Father, and I'm not worried about a switching or a beating. I'm worried about how long is it going to take me to get up in his arms. I'm worried about one of you getting in my way and me having to wait a little longer in line. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? See, that's the way we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to live like this. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to melt down like plastic when God appears. If you melt down like plastic when God appears, you've seen him for the last time. Okay? And besides, this isn't the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. This is truth. This is what God says. So I'm going to finish this passage. i got to go on. i got to get through. By this love is matured in us, it's perfected in us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, oh, this is good here. So are we where? When we get to heaven? No, right here. So as he is, we are here. We are supposed to be mirrors of Jesus. Now we are supposed, we are mirrors of Jesus. Okay? Okay? Listen to this. There's no fear in love. But fear involves punishment. The the word there, it could be translated, but fear has punishment. You see, if I'm afraid, it's because I think I'm going to be punished. Or because I know I should be punished. And the one who fears is not matured, not perfected in love. Now, maybe you're here this morning. Don't take that latter part of that verse as condemnation. Take it as an encouragement. Maybe you live in fear. God's not saying, He's not not beating on you with a stick. He's saying, you know what? I want to set you free from that. What have I said about fear all through the New Testament? I haven't given you that spirit. So where did it come from? I want your, your, your fear to mature into faith. I want you to leave that stuff behind and become like me. And, and, and not fear. And when that happens, you know what? You will have matured into the love that I have for you. And you will begin to experience it. Faith says, I will believe what God says, not what other people say about God. No matter how loud they yell or how much they pound the podium, okay? Just because you pound the podium and scream and yell doesn't mean what you're saying is true. Adolf Hitler pounded the podium and he screamed. And he killed millions and millions and millions of people. What he had to say was not true. Okay, I got to go on got go on. In other words, what I'm saying is if to get rid of the fear, you've got to find out what God says for yourself. He says, well, Nelson, I just I don't understand the Bible. That's a garbage excuse. Alright? I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I love you, but that's a garbage excuse. we got all kinds of translations. Alright? I mean, you can get the New English Version, you can get the, the American Standard Version, you can get the New King James, the King James, the Cotton Patch Gospel. There is a ton of translation. You can get a translation that, that, that you can understand. And besides that, you can look online and find out what words mean. You don't have to have a library of books, you don't have to be uh, an expert in the Greek language or the Hebrew language. You just have to be hungry. If you're hungry, you will find where the bread is. I guarantee you won't miss many meals. And when you get spiritually hungry, you will do whatever it takes to find out what God says. I reached a place about 20 years ago where I stopped accepting what all the voices said. And I started to check out what the voices I had heard had said. Much of what I'd been told was true. All right? But some of it wasn't. And God began to take me into those places to discern the truth for myself. You see, he put the Holy Spirit in us to lead us into truth. You know what? Every one of us can find the truth if we search for it. Jeremiah, I love this passage in Jeremiah. God says, if you search for me with all your heart, I'll let you find me. I'll let you find me. Religion will tell you to stay away from what I'm talking about because religion will teach you that there are only certain individuals who've had the proper training and who have been to the right schools and they're the only ones who can explain what the Bible says. That was the belief in about five 600 AD and that's why we went into the Dark Ages. And that's why we had to have a Reformation. Because those that thought they knew what the Bible said, twisted it to mean what they wanted it to say. We, we have a place inside of us, folks, that sin loves to get. And it will take God's Word and twist it if we're not careful. So we have to learn for ourselves. I, I had a pastor, uh, when, when God really began to work in my life, who, who would say this all the time from the police says, don't take what I've said as truth take what I've said go home and check it against what God says and if it's truth then believe it if it's not then let it go don't take what I say as truth take what what God says compare the two and if there's a problem it's going to be it's not going to be God it's going to be me religion will tell you to stay away from that that you can't understand what it says but you know what uh, that's a crock that's what it is that's a crock read what god says let me give you i'm going to give you three or four verses and we're going to close with this you don't have to understand hebrew you don't have to understand greek this is what god says in jeremiah 31:3 he says i have loved you with an everlasting love that's past tense which means from before you were, I have loved you with everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you, which that word drawn means I have wooed you with loving kindness. Loving kindness is, is the Old Testament word for grace. God says this in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. How much does God love you? He loved you enough to die for you before you even knew who he was. When you were in the worst of your worst, when you were in the pit of pits. Romans 8, 38 and 39, uh, I mean, excuse me, 835 says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Now, it's not expecting you to give a list of answers. It's asking a question there that has... The answer, nothing. That's what he's saying, nothing. And then he answers it in in verse 38 through 39. Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing. Let me ask this question. What is the only thing that is uncreated, that it was not created? God. God's already said he loves us, right? Mm. Yes. Perhaps. Yes. So God said he loved us. So everything else that would say he hasn't loved us is what? It's created. He just said right there, no created thing can be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what Jesus prayed. Jesus is in the flesh. He's in the the garden, I believe. And he prays this in John chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. This is taken out of the New Living Translation. I remember reading this uh, for the first time, and it still rocks my world to this day. Jesus says this. He's talking to his Father. He says, I have given them. He's talking about his disciples. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are I and them and you and me all matured or perfected into one then the world listen to this then the world will know that you sent me and here's the here's the kicker and will understand that you love them as much as you love me when i read that I thought, man, that's got to that's, that's be a misprint. Maybe I didn't read that right. I went back and I read it. It wiped me out. Jesus is, is I mean, listen, he's not just praying poetry here, folks. He's talking, to, he knows what's about to happen in a few hours. He, he's talking about the important things. And he makes this statement, God, I want them to know that you love them as much as you love me. So why would I ever be afraid? What have I to fear? If God is for me, who? Who can be against me? I mean, you say, Nelson, that's that's just Bible. That's just the flow of what Scripture means. It makes sense. So how can you be afraid of somebody who loves you this much? Listen, that kind of fear will never allow you an opportunity to experience the genuine love of God, which is available in a relationship. So today, we have some of you have to make a life choice. You have to choose, will I continue to walk in this kind of fear? Or will I trust God and put my faith in what He says? And listen, what He says is what He does. You say, well, how can I know that? Just read the Gospels and look at Jesus. Jesus walked the love of God out. I can expect to receive the same thing that Jesus handed out in that first century today in this century because He has not changed, folks. So the question is, fear or faith? Fear or faith? Where are you going to live? Which one are you going to choose? Because it's a life choice. And it's something that, you know what? You have to choose. In a relationship between two individuals, you have to trust the other individual. Or you never experience what's there. Mistrust and distrust and no trust will keep you apart. And that's what will happen in your relationship to God. God's done everything He can. He's standing right there. There's no barriers between us and Him. It's open. But you know what? If I'm like this, if I'm closed up, if I won't trust Him, if I'm, I would rather, you know, just get the, you know what, beat out of me every Sunday, I'm just going to say this in love. I, I, I don't want you to take this up, but you'll have to go somewhere else because I'm not going to beat you up. I'm just not going to. Now, I may get loud and I may pound the pulpit, but you know what? My sins are forgiven. I'm living in that, and if I'm living in that, why would I not want the people I love most not to live in that? Because if if I don't if I don't exhibit that to you, you won't exhibit it to the next person. See, most people think we're the meanest, ugliest people in the world. Why? Because we get the crap beat out of us every Sunday morning. That's not going to happen here. Okay, if you're mean. You're responsible for your meanness, okay? Folks, God loves us. And God wants that love to change us. As we read here, He wants it to perfect us, to mature us. So we'll let go of the the fear. We'll let go of the condemnation. We'll let go of the shame. And we'll embrace who He is. It's His responsibility to change me. And I can be confident that if he embraces me, I will change. Okay? So it's fear or faith. Who are you going to trust? If it's fear, you're trusting the devil. Jesus said he's a liar. And has been one from the beginning. If it's faith, then you're going to trust God. God's never broken a promise. He's not batting 300. He's batting 1,000%. Okay? you going to trust. you going to trust. Let's pray. For more information on Eagle's Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.